Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Covenant EFC and a very warm welcome to those of you worshipping here and those online as well. So we have been spending a fair amount of time in Daniel chapter 4 and we'll be spending a total of four weeks in it because there is so much, so much to unpack. So let me recap for us what's been happening in the last few weeks. So at the beginning, Tim presented to us the overall story of what's happening in Daniel chapter 4, the narrative. And in this narrative, there are four basic elements. The first is the dream, then there is the interpretation and then the warning, and then there is the fulfillment of that warning, and then there is the restoration at the end. So last week, we began to explore some themes from this narrative. So Pastor Tony shared with us about Nebuchadnezzar and his cosmic, cosmic pride. Pride is that so big and that so arrogant that he elevates himself to essentially being godlike. And then there was the warning and the judgment that came. So this week, we are going to be looking at another aspect of Nebuchadnezzar. Beyond his obvious pride, there is also another aspect, and that is his hearing. How does he hear and respond whenever God speaks? And from there, we want to explore a little bit from all of these episodes in Nebuchadnezzar's life. What can we learn about how we ourselves hear and respond to God as well? Are we also like Nebuchadnezzar, maybe slightly hard of hearing. So now we have to ask ourselves, why is hearing so very, very important? So in Hebrew, the word shema here, actually it means more than just auditory listening. It just means more than just listening with your ears. So when you shema, not shema, shema, you are saying that there's a connotation in which you obey. You not only hear, but you also obey. So I learned the importance of this the hard way when my kids were very young. So when my kids were still very young, I would often bring them out to look for playgrounds and look for places that we can play um, for free. And so we went to this mall. And of course, um, mall, some of them have little playgrounds and some of them have little play structures and there are little kiddie rides, the money-sucking ones, which I never pay money for. It doesn't move. That's just the way it is. Okay, kid? Okay, anyway. Um, must repent from lying. So he had a lot of fun climbing up and down those play structures and those playgrounds. So I was standing there with a friend and we were chatting and we were seeing our kids playing and then they were having lots of fun and all of a sudden I see him running away from the play structures and running towards the escalator. And so I shouted out, Michael, stop! Okay, now you know which child it is. Um, so I said, stop! But he did not stop. So I started to run a little bit towards him because I started to panic a little. And I said, Michael, stop! Louder, he kept on running. And then in my now very fierce mummy voice, Michael, stop! And he continued running. So I managed to get to him just in time, scoop him before he reached the escalator. And then a f the friend who was with me said something to me that I would never forget to this day. And she said to me, you know, we have to train our child to hear and obey at the sound of our voice. 
we have to train our child to obey at the sound of our voice. My child heard my voice, but he doesn't necessarily heed my voice. And maybe we too, as children of God, also do the same. We also hear God's voice, but we don't necessarily heed it. So as we look at Nebuchadnezzar's hearing problems today, let's also begin to ask God to examine us. Are we also hard of hearing? Would you join me in prayer, even as we look to God? Eternal God and our loving Heavenly Father, grant us the grace to truly hear you speak to us today, so that we may truly respond and truly obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we want to discern if we are hard of hearing today. Don't need to go to an audiologist. We can come here and we have to consider two aspects of hearing. First, our hearts, our heart of hearing and the habits of hearing. So let's begin with the heart of hearing. So Nebuchadnezzar is our resident dream king. He's had multiple dreams. There are now two very, very weird, okay, interesting dreams. And the first dream is in chapter two and the second one is here in chapter four. So what are some of the similarities that you can draw, that you can see in between the dreams? So the first similarity is both are dreams. Thank you, Pastor, for being Captain Obvious, yes. The second is that both can only be interpreted by Daniel and not the rest of the Babylonian magicians and the wise men. Both also detail what God has in store for King Nebuchadnezzar. And both, the intent of it is to demonstrate God's sovereignty over kings and kingdoms. Then, what is a significant difference that you might discern? One of the key significant differences is that this dream is much more personal. It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar very specifically, and it details the personal judgment that's in store for him because of his cosmic pride. The pride in which he says, it's me, myself, and I elevate myself to a point where I am pretty much like God. I did everything. So in the dream, God points this out, and he points this out with the... the, the, the yeah analogy of the tree that grew, and therefore Daniel urges the king to repent, to repent so that God might show him some mercy. And this is what Daniel tells the king in verse 27. He said, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel, he is truly alarmed for the king, and he pleads with Nebuchadnezzar to listen, to repent, to practice righteousness. So in his cosmic pride, he's probably been pursuing his own selfish agenda for his own empire, and he is not pursuing the welfare of the people, and he's not practicing righteousness for his people. So sadly, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't heed Daniel's warning. So when judgment comes, the divine king turns bovine. So here's... An interesting question. Why wouldn't Nebuchadnezzar listen? Why wouldn't he listen? Because Daniel is the chief of the magicians. So you look with me in verse 9. It says, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar is already stating, Daniel, 
you know one, you know how these things are going to go, I trust you, please tell me the interpretation. And then Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that Daniel has supernatural insight and wisdom, and he recognizes that this wisdom is divine. And he thinks so highly of Daniel, he is the chief of the magicians. You would think that he would trust his counsel and heed his warning. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. The question is, why? I think one clue lies in Daniel's name. Daniel has an alternate name, and his alternate name is Belshazzar. And the bell in front of Belshazzar is named after Bel, an alternate name for the Babylonian god Marduk. So we see this in verse 8. So, at last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. So from a Babylonian viewpoint, from the religious viewpoint, they believe that there are multiple gods. And amongst these gods, there is a chief, there's a king among them, and his name is Bel, or Madok, the alternate name. And this Madok is the chief of the gods. So as a Babylonian king, it is very likely that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped Madok because Madok was the patron god of the royal family. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar had multiple gods that he believed in. And probably the God of Israel is one of those gods. And so how does the God of Israel figure in this equation? God is probably just one of them. So let's look at the opening doxology to God to find out why this is so. Verse 2 and 3 says, It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So here, Nebuchadnezzar is praising God. And the Most High here is a term that refers to the God of Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar is praising God for his power, his might, his eternal dominion, and his greatness. And you're asking me, Why isn't he praising God here? Why do you say that God is just one of those gods? Because all these attributes, although worthy of a God and even worthy of a Most High God, there is nothing in the opening doxology that speaks of his belief in God as the one true God. So apart from Nebuchadnezzar's sin of cosmic pride, fundamentally, he has multiple gods, of whom the God of Israel is only one of them. So from a Babylonian point of view, why do they worship the gods? They worship these multiple gods so that the gods will bless them with what they want and what they need. And in the agricultural system back then, they want protection from harm, they want protection from natural disasters, and of course, everybody wants the gods to protect them from suffering. So they worship the very powerful gods so that they can access the powers that these gods have in order to get what they want and what they need. So in a sense, these gods whom they worship, actually they serve an even more important god. Ultimately, they serve the most important god of all, which is themselves. This is very, very different, distinctly different from worshipping the god of Israel, who is the one true god. And to say that God is the one true god means it's not even accurate to say that God is above all the other gods. Because God is absolutely unique, there is only one and there is no other. It means that God is the highest authority and then there is no other authority. 
But for Nebuchadnezzar, he is his own highest authority. All other gods, the multiple gods, are there to serve him, including God of Israel, are there to serve his will, his purposes, and his desires. No wonder all the things that he does are only the things that are important to him and not important to God. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar is hard of hearing. You know, we only hear and obey the highest authority in our lives. And the question is, who is the highest authority in your life? Who is the highest authority in your life? Is it God? Is He? So how do we tell? Actually, there's a, I think, a simple way to tell if God is the highest authority in our lives. And the simple test is by our obedience. Do we take God's commands seriously or do we not? Recently, I drank some expired milk. So my son was horrified. And that I would heated out the milk, I poured it into my coffee, and he goes, that's expired, why would you drink that? That's disgusting. So sad to say, I didn't land in the hospital with an IV drip, but I really shouldn't have drunk that expired milk, because expired milk plus coffee equals regrets. Okay? So why would I do that? Stupid, right? Why would I drink expired milk? You know, for me, you know, the best buy dates on the packaging, often I see them more as, you know, suggestions and guidelines rather than strict limits. If it smells and it looks okay, it must be okay. Okay, unfortunately, that's not how bacteria works, okay? The limits are there for a reason, and the limits, especially for milk, are there for a reason. Respect the expiry date, guys. But I chose to place myself as a higher authority over the expiry date. We can maybe do that with cereal, I don't know. But do we also do that with God's word? Do we also do that with God's commands? Do we also treat the limits and the boundaries that is placed around us as suggestions and guidelines? Maybe let's take a look at a few of the Ten Commandments. You shall not lie. But you know, on occasion, if you really, really need to avoid getting into trouble, it's okay. If you need to avoid getting into trouble with your boss or your teacher, it's okay. You shall not steal. We just all submitted our tax returns recently. But what if I fudge the numbers on the declarations just a little bit, you know? It's not like the government needs more of my money. You shall not commit adultery. Pastor, you don't understand. My spouse doesn't pay any attention to me. It's so hard, you know? All the fights that we have, all the differences, they just don't understand me. It's just too hard to keep it going. It's not so easy to always obey God. We face pressures in life, we face a lot of temptations. But when He has already clearly spoken through His Word, let's not be tempted to rationalize away His commands as suggestions and guidelines. Does God know that we are weak and very easily tempted? Yes. Does He forgive us when we fall? Yes. But does He want us to repent? The answer is also yes. Why do we need to repent? Because God knows that the path that we will head down when we, our own highest authority, is not a good one. Without God as highest authority, the decisions that we make are limited by our human perspective and they're very tainted by our sins and our weaknesses. The decisions that we make 
are often tainted by our very limited human perspective and very tainted by our sin. You know, we have all experienced this for ourselves. You know, there's a certain awfulness you feel when you finish the Netflix binge, eight-hour one. We wish we could take back our angry words when we blew up as a child, as a colleague. We have all have regrets for bad decisions made, wrong paths taken. Even Nebuchadnezzar recognized this because at the end, after God showed him mercy and restored his reason, this was the conclusion that he came to. Verse 37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Even cosmically proud Nebuchadnezzar came to the conclusion that his way was not right and only God's way is. And so everything that he does is right and all of God's ways are just and the commands, therefore, that he gives are good, perfect and right because he's a good, perfect and righteous God. God, as highest authority, is perfect, right, and good. And His perfect and infinite wisdom, sovereignty, and goodness, He has designed limits and boundaries in our lives so that the paths that we walk down will be good ones, and it will be good for us. So friends, at the heart of hearing really is restoring God as highest authority in our lives because he's the good and perfect authority. At the heart of hearing is to restore God as the highest authority in our lives. So not only do we have to consider what is at the heart of hearing, we also need to consider what is our habit of hearing as we can discern whether we are really hard of hearing or not, whether we have hearing problems or not. So let's come back to our dream king, Nebuchadnezzar. So given that he has multiple gods, and although he honors the God of Israel, we do not know if it translates to real faith or real obedience. So if we trace back all three encounters with God over chapters 2, chapters 3, and chapters 4, we will find that actually there's some similar patterns. So let's take a look at all of his encounters with God. Okay? So the encounter, how God speaks, and what Nebuchadnezzar says. In chapter 2, in the first dream, there's a dream. He tells the wise man, please tell me my dream. Please interpret it for me or I'm going to kill you. Then God shows up, reveals it to Daniel. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, I honor the God of Daniel for his power and his wisdom from above. Next incident, next encounter in chapter 3. He throws the three poor men into the blazing furnace, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they refuse to bow down to the golden statue that he has made. And then how God shows up, he delivers the three men. At the end, Nebuchadnezzar honors the three men's God for their power to save, because this power is above all other gods. So in chapter 4 here, God gives a second dream, and then there is a warning given by Daniel but Nebuchadnezzar does not repent despite the warning. And then God judges, and at the end, when he's restored, he honors God for his sovereignty and his righteousness. What do you discern from this pattern? 
What do you discern from this pattern of God encounters and responses? Certainly, there's some movement, as you can see in the last column. He does acknowledge God's wisdom, God's power, and God's sovereignty, and God's character as righteous and just. So as a side point here, if you ask me, does Nebuchadnezzar ever cross over into true allegiance to the one true God? My answer would be, I don't know. Certainly there is movement, but is there enough to translate into real allegiance and obedience? I think it's because the intent of the story is not to tell that to us, and the info stops here. We actually cannot definitively conclude. I don't know. But what can we learn from the pattern of his responses? So when Nebuchadnezzar encounters God, God reveals himself, he responds, he says, God is wise, God is powerful, and God is sovereign. But the response is often skin deep and momentary, and then business as usual. So this is how he goes about it, this is his pattern. I encounter God, great, God is powerful, God is wise, and life goes on, business as usual. In fact, one of the things that struck me very deeply as I read this narrative was a particular phrase. 12 months later, let's look at it, it's in verse 28. So after the interpretation and warning, then this is what it says. All these happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? God had already spoken spectacularly to Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? And he has given a serious warning through Daniel. Normal people would sit up, pay attention, and take it seriously. But what was Nebuchadnezzar's response? Nothing for 12 months. Business as usual, life goes on. 12 months for him to really hear and really repent. But it was business as usual, and it wasn't just once, but it was a pattern of a series of choices. Nothing shifted for him after he encounters God. So whenever God speaks, whenever God reveals himself, it always demands a response from us. What kind of response? It requires us to make certain choices. So for us, how does God generally speak to us? Well, God speaks to us through different ways. And the primary way is obviously through Scripture, the revealed Word of God. And the Spirit of God acts upon it, brings it alive, so that it convicts us of the truth of God's Word. But God also speaks to us through nature. He speaks to us through circumstances, through God's people, through maybe certain promptings in our heart. And for some people, he also speaks to them through dreams and visions. And all these, of course, needs to be confirmed with scriptural truth. So when God speaks to us, when God reveals himself to us, it demands a response. So if God reveals to us that he is a powerful God, we can choose to believe that he is powerful, or we can choose to believe that he is not. And whatever it is, our hearts and our actions will follow what we believe. So if God reveals that he is faithful, we can choose to believe and respond accordingly with gratitude and assurance of He being with us. If God reveals that He loves us, we can choose to believe it, and then we can respond and love Him back. Or we can choose not to believe that He loves us, or we can choose to ignore that God loves us. All of these are choices. You know, I've heard this question being asked many, many times. Why can't I hear God? From young people, from older ones, I've asked the same question myself in my own journey. 
Of course, this is a very multifaceted question that requires us to really understand what Scripture is, what the work of the Spirit is, and how all these things interact. And for some of us, maybe we need to change some very fixed ideas we have about how God should exactly speak to us. But perhaps one possibility that we don't often talk about is that perhaps we have already been making certain consistent choices when God speaks to us. We have already been making certain consistent choices when God speaks to us. What is the habit of our hearing? Do we respond to God when we hear Him? Do we obey when we hear Him? Do we respond momentarily and then we forget about it? Or do we hear God and then we ignore Him? I suggest the way in which we choose to respond to God is habit-forming. When we keep choosing to turn towards God, when He speaks, we grow in tenderness of conscience and intimacy with Him and holiness. And then it's a virtuous cycle. We grow in the habit of turning towards God. But if we keep choosing to ignore, if we keep choosing to turn away, we can grow in that habit too. That describes Nebuchadnezzar, despite God speaking so spectacularly so many times, ignoring God became a habit. Ignoring God can be habit-forming. And for some of us, ignoring God has been become a habit. We hear Him, we turn to Him, momentarily, perhaps, but then life goes on, business as usual, and we are unmoved. And friends, I need to tell us that the more we ignore God, the better we get at ignoring Him. Let me share with you an example, a super common one that we all struggle with, okay? Daily devotions. I think we all struggle with it. Maybe not Pastor Ed or Pastor Tony, but the rest of us, uh, common folk, we struggle with it. So you know here, your pastor is very human. So no matter how young or how old you are as a Christian, spending time with God in word and prayer regularly can be challenging. So let me share my own walk and my own experience with you. First of all, I'm not a morning person. So I wake up, and in the morning I pray, okay? And I do my Bible reading in the evening, and I use a five-day reading plan because it gives you two days to catch up when you cannot finish the five uh, chapters of genealogies that you're supposed to go through. So two days for you to catch up if you miss any. So for me, it's quite workable. And I supplement it with various things um, along the way. So in my own experience, I usually start well at the beginning of the year, and towards the middle of the year, which is round about now, things get a little bit more hard. So some days, some nights, I have extra meetings, uh, small groups, uh, meetings, and then I end very late, and then or I come home very late at night. And by the time I collapse on my couch, and I just want to zone out, sometimes I get a prompting that says, oh, you haven't spent that time with God yet. So many times I do drag myself out of my couch. My couch, I think, has some powerful sucking power that just gets me to lie down there. Sometimes I, be, I can drag myself out of my couch and then I open up my Bible. But some days I just tell God, God, my brain is mush. My brain is really mush. Surely you understand. Of course God understands. Of course God understands. But what I've noticed about myself is that when I tell God, God, I cannot, my brain is smashed. Over time, it gets easier and easier to tell God I cannot. 
And before I know it, I've missed a few days, and we all know it. A few days turns into weeks, and weeks turns into months. It gets easier and easier to tell God, wait. It gets easier and easier to tell God, no. And when it gets easier and easier to tell God, wait or no, unfortunately, it means that actually our heart is also getting harder and harder. And in turn, it becomes harder and harder for us to actually hear God. And for some of us, our wait is actually a no. Has it been easier, getting easier, for us to tell God no? In what areas have you told God, wait or no? Maybe he has been asking you to step up and serve, and you said, please don't ask me anymore. Perhaps some of you are struggling with a persistent sexual sin, and keep telling God, no, there's no way, I just can't give it up, I just can't do it. Perhaps some of you, God has been asking you to surrender a long-held bitterness, a long-held unforgiveness. You just keep telling God, I cannot do it. I don't want to forgive. Maybe some of you have a calling towards full-time ministry or missions, and you've been telling God, wait, wait until, wait. Whatever God has already spoken, we have gotten into the habit of saying no. Friends, I am not here to condemn you because I struggle with obedience myself. But I need to present to you a reality today, a spiritual reality today, that the more we choose to ignore God, the more habit-forming it becomes. And the more the habit forms in us, the harder our heart becomes. The more the habit forms in us, the harder our heart becomes. God loves us. God is understanding. God is kind. God waits for us. But He does all this when He speaks to us about our sin. He also wants us to come to repentance. And this is what Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Let me repeat it again. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God is kind. He's forbearing, he's patient, but it's meant to lead us into repentance. And God waits for us, but so that we will turn back to him in repentance. So for us, don't turn telling God wait. Don't turn telling God no into a habit. Don't turn disobedience into a habit. When he speaks, choose to turn to him. Choose repentance. You know, as we trace Nebuchadnezzar's life, it reveals the condition of our soul. What is our hearing like? What is the heart of our hearing? What is the habit of our hearing? And some of us may identify with this hardness of heart. Some of us may identify with his double-mindedness. We know that we are hard of hearing. Our hearts and our habits are not where it should be. 
And we've just already said that we cannot conclude if Nebuchadnezzar really finished well. And right now, in this sanctuary, or even at home, if we are absolutely honest with us, looking at the state of our obedience, we also wonder, can we also finish well? Can we also really, really finish well? Yesterday, we lost a spiritual giant, Pastor Timothy Keller. You know, he left such incredible legacy for us. He modeled a thinking faith. He modeled a deep understanding of what the gospel really, really means. And he modeled what it means to be a winsome witness to the person of Jesus Christ. So I was deeply saddened when I heard the news. But at the same time, I was also deeply encouraged because as he battled with cancer in the last season of his life, he showed us how to really finish well. And from the many things that he taught, this is one thing stood out to me this week, that one of the keys to finishing well is repentance. And this is what he wrote about repentance in a newsletter many years ago. And this is what he says. Martin Luther opened the Reformation by nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. The very first of these theses was, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. On the surface, this looks a little bleak. Luther seems to be saying Christians will never be making much progress. But of course, that wasn't Luther's point at all. He was saying, that repentance is the way we make progress in the Christian life. In fact, pervasive all-of-life repentance is the best sign they were growing deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. How does one finish well? We finish well when we grow deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. But by ourselves, we feel that we cannot because we are so weak, we are so sinful. So how can it happen? So let me put it another way. Repentance is progress because it opens up the way for divine transformation. The power of repentance lies in recognizing that all of our darkness, all of our weakness, all of our failures can be redeemed by the transforming power of God's grace and a changed life lies in the life of repentance. Friends, I want to finish well. We all want to finish well, and we all want to be transformed, but the reality of a new life, and new and transformed life, it begins with repentance. Because when we come before Him, and then we cry out, change me, God, I don't want to say the same. God will always answer the cry of a repentant heart. God will always answer the cry of a repentant heart. So I bring before you the burden of the day that God desires to call each and every one to repentance, call each and every one to a life in which we keep turning towards God. So today, would you repent afresh? Today, would you repent of your lack of desire, your lack of hearing, your lack of obedience? And in doing so, we open up the way for the transforming grace of God to come into our lives once more so that He can transform us again and again. 
Right now, the worship team is going to minister to us a song. And this song speaks of the desperate cry of our hearts. It speaks of the desperate cry of a repentant heart. And as you listen to this song, would it allow it to echo what you are, on, you are crying out inside as well? God, would you hear us from heaven? Would you change me? Would you open my blind eyes? Would you unlock my deaf ears? I need you desperately, Lord. Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. Some of us here who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, but today you hear that the path that you're going down is not a good one when you are your own highest authority and you want to submit your life to Jesus as the highest authority in your life for the first time with all eyes closed, with all heads bowed, I just want to ask you to raise your hand, whether you're here or whether you're online, would you just indicate to God, God I want to open up my life to the power of divine transformation afresh. I see your hand. Father, would you come into the lives of these ones because they come before you and say, God, I need you. I desperately need you. Would you forgive my sin? Would you come into my life to transform me so that I can live for your glory? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the majority of us here. I speak to us as children of God. Friends, repentance is not saying that I broke God's rules. Repentance is saying that I broke God's heart. Many of us, we've broken God's heart over and over again. And His heart grieves for the paths that we choose to take. 
past that he knows is not good for us. And we've broken his heart over and over again. So today, if you want to come back to God, and you want to turn and say, God, forgive me. I want to live with you, not apart from you. I want to live with you as my highest authority. I want to live with you hearing you again. If that's you, would you reach out your hands to God today? Reach out your hands to God and say, God, forgive me. And ask Him to come into your life afresh. Father, for the these different ones, we know we are not where we should be. Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours. Break our heart over our sin. Break our heart over our own disobedience. Help us to keep turning towards you, to come into the habit of always turning towards you. Help us to always come back to the place where we will always choose you. And Lord, we know that we cannot do it except by the power of your Spirit that enables us to do so. So would you come into our life once more this day? Change us, transform us, make us new again. Amen. I have one last group of people I need to speak to. And this group of people, you know that God has spoken to you. He has placed a full-time calling in your life. And you keep telling God, wait. You keep telling God, no. And today he says, don't wait anymore. Don't say no to me anymore. Because it's habit forming. It's not good for you. So if that's you, during ministry time, when you, you can come forward to the altar, the pastors and ministry staff will be here to pray for you. Speak to your CGL, speak to any of your pastors, just to seal that commitment, to bring up the conversation again. It says, I want to explore it again because I want to obey God. Friends, the Spirit of God is here. And even as we stand and sing this song in response to God afresh, would you let this be the cry of your heart, the consistent cry of your heart, that you ask God to unlock our deaf ears, open the blind eyes again. So let's stand and respond to God again with this song and ask Him to come into my life afresh, come into your life afresh, so that you can be close to Him, be intimate with Him again. Unlock the blind eyes, unlock blind ears, come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation, we are your people. Open. Unlock the deaf ears. Come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven. Touch our generation. We are your people. Crying out.
Lord. Hear us from heaven. 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 Hear us, Lord, from heaven, Lord. spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.